just uh, quickly to review uh, just for a minute what we did last week. So we started to speak about the concept of the 13 middle of Hashem, the 13 attributes of God. Um, we said there are two versions of this. One is in Torah, um, and it's actually written twice. Uh, the first time by Chet Egel, and then again by Chet Halaragui. Um, and then we have another version that is written in the Sefer of Nicha, one of the Chayasar. Uh, this is the this is the version actually that you're going to go to Tashlech. Okay, this is the version that you're going to sing. And uh, we spoke about the idea that Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu that this is something that a person should be osik in. This is something you should busy, busy themselves with. And if they are osik with the thirteen mito, then they will not be turned away. It will always be regarded with compassion. Um, and so again, it's not just words that mindlessly say. Just words that we mindlessly say, but these are these are ideas that we are trying to integrate. Essentially, what we are doing here is we're trying to understand and to learn how we can emulate God. And we spoke about that these these middle are not, you know, Hashem is not asking us to do things that are that are outside of us. These middle, these attributes are are inside of us, and it's just a matter of us digging deep and, and getting back in, in touch with them. Okay, and that's and that's really uh, the goal. We're trying to emulate Hashem to be like Him. Um, in order for us to reach any level in our Avodah Hashem, in terms of Ahava Hashem, right? Loving God, fearing God, to be Hashem, all of that has to be accomplished through the Halach by emulating Hashem. And so we are, um, we started last week with the introduction, just talking about um, how we shouldn't, we, we need to not just walk the walk, so to speak, but we also have to talk the talk, meaning God creates us in his image. Uh, meaning physically, whatever this means, really, it's a very spiritual idea, but the, our physical bodies are somehow manifestations of God's um, cohort, right? His energies, um, his insight. And so when we walk down the street, right, we're representing God. So we have to keep in mind that when I am walking down the street and representing God, that I want to step up to the plate and be an accurate representation. Okay, so today we're going to work on the first Mida um, in the book. I'll tell you where it is. Okay, this is <clears throat> um, the next version on Dafchet. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so we're gonna read we're gonna read through this together. Um, and then we're going to actually spend a little bit of time talking about the Mida that he is teaching us about today. Okay, so the first Mida that is written here. The first one of God's middle is meaning what? Anybody, what does this mean? Who is like you, Hashem? Right? That is the first one. 
Bore al Hayot Melech Ne'alav. This is teaching us that God is what is called a Melech Ne'alav. Okay, put that down too. Anybody know some modern Hebrew, right? What does Ne'alav mean? What is an elbow? Kind of insult, make someone feel bad. Sorry, this is two words. Melech Ne'alav, meaning God is a humiliated king. That is what God is known as. You have to understand what that means, okay? But we have to realize, Robinson Howard actually points out that the human king cannot retain both of these traits. The human king cannot be both a melech and ne'elach, right? It's not so easy to, to, to capture both of those realities. So what does this mean? So he is sovel elbon, meaning what? He tolerates insults. What a human being cannot accurately understand, what we cannot possibly comprehend, okay? Meaning it's beyond our comprehension even how much pain, so to speak, God is in when we sin. If we really understood how much it pains Hashem when we did something wrong, we wouldn't even be able to eat. We would be so, as we say in Yiddish, like, so like we feel so terrible. If we just really were able to understand how, how painful it was for God, to watch us doing things that are wrong, okay? And so we also, therefore, cannot really comprehend the extent of his goodness either, okay? So we're doing the best that we can, but we have to realize that as human beings, our understanding and our comprehension of, of these attributes are going to be somewhat limited, but we're going to do the best that we can, okay? There is absolutely nothing that is hidden from God's providence, without a doubt, can we all agree on this, right? God sees everything. Are we all, are we all on that page, right? He knows everything that happens. That's number one. Number two, there is not a moment that we could possibly exist if God was not beating our hearts at that moment. Okay, so picture God like massaging your heart. Okay, just he's beating all day long. Beating your heart, beating your heart, beating your heart. If he ever stopped beating our hearts, God forbid, right, a person would cease to exist. So he is continuously giving us life every single minute of every single day. Meaning what? There is not a moment that goes by where we are doing something, even things that are wrong, where God at that moment is not actively still giving us life. Actually, Robinson Heller like it's this to uh, he like gives us the getaway car to get away from the scene of the crime. Meaning we're we're taking the energy that he's giving us, we're using it to do something wrong, and he's giving us the keys and saying, "Here's the car, go have a nice day." Okay, he is actively giving us the energy to even use the life force that he's giving us to do things that are against his will. And if, again, if a person is going to use this energy that God is giving him to do the wrong thing, God's not going to stop him. But we say that God is so well. Okay, I mean, the, word, the truth is so well has different meanings. I mean, they're all nuances of the same thing. Okay, he's so well, he tolerates. It also means to suffer. Okay, so you know, both of those come to play here, but he's tolerating this insult. Okay, I just want to make sure we all understand what the insult is that is going on here. Okay, the mashal, famous mashal that's given to understand this is that you have a master, okay, who gives money to his servant to go and buy food. 
And the servant takes the money that his master gave him to buy food and uses it to buy a stick to hit his master. Okay, that's essentially what we're doing. God is giving us and giving us and giving us, right? And we're taking what he's giving us and we're using it to shove it back in his face, to drag him through the mud. Yeah. No, not just times are basically gosh, believe me, there are plenty of people nowadays who know exactly what they're doing. Okay, and and even whether they do or they don't, it's irrelevant. The point being that God is not just giving life force to the people who are like Sadiqim, who are flying around like angels doing exactly what he wants them to do. He's giving life force to everybody and continuously giving life force to people, even when they're using that to do things that are against them. Okay, this is very relevant for today. It's not just back in the, in the days of the temple, for sure not. Okay, okay. So again, God is giving us, at that moment, he's giving us that koach. And at that moment, at that same moment, we're actually using that energy to do something like infuriating, something that anger, can anger God. But again, God tolerates this. We cannot say that God does not have the power to prevent us from doing the wrong thing, right? I think we can all agree, right? If God wanted to stop you in your tracks, right? Mid-sentence, your mouth would just stop moving, right? God has the ability to make us stop. He, you know, he could do whatever he wants. So it's not because he doesn't have the ability to stop us. He chooses to be tolerant. He chooses to give us that time. And he gives here an example, actually. Um, it's, God has the ability to instantly dry out your hands and your feet. Does anybody know what happened to Yeravam? Anybody familiar with the story of what happened to Yeravam? Anybody know who Yeravam is? He was a king. He was a bad king. Okay. Um, he actually tried to get the Jewish people to not go to the Beit Hamikdash in Yerushalayim. He built his own Bama, whatever it was, in Beit El. Which, if you go to Beit El today. They think they, they, there's remnants of what they think was that Bama, okay? Because he didn't want them to go to Yushalayim. He wanted them to go there. So he was involved with the Zara. He was involved with drawing the Jews away from, from serving God. And so at one point, he was at his little Mizveach up there in Beit Al, and a Navi, okay? The, a Navi came to him to give him some tochacha, right? To give him some rebuke, to basically tell him, like, this is not good what you're doing. And he said, eventually, all the Kohanim that you have that are, that are bringing sacrifices here, everybody's going, and, you, and your bones as well. I mean, he said it in a nice way, but basically, your, your bones as well. Everybody, you're all going to be burned on this Mizbeach. And he gave him a sign that his words are going to come true. And needless to say, Yeravam was not too pleased with this piece of news. And he picked up his hand, and he was going to smite. He was going to hit this Kohen, this uh, Navi. And what did God do? He stopped his hand midair and he was stuck. Okay. He, he, he didn't have, the, he couldn't, he was just stuck like that. In the meantime, the sign that the, that the Navi gave came true, right? And Yeravam was standing there and he was very uncomfortable, obviously, and this was not a good situation to be in. And he, he asked the Navi to dive on his behalf um, to release his hands, which he did. And, you know, 
again, we can learn a lot of things from here, but a very important piece I think that we can learn from here is that if you think about it, when did God react, okay? Yeruvim was spent, had spent a lot, a lot of time already doing things against him, right? He had built this Mizbeach and he's getting the Jews to go there. God never did anything to him. He never stopped him, you know, on the way up to the to Beit El. He never stopped Yeruvim mid-stride and like didn't let him move, right? He, he gave him the energy to keep going and to keep doing. When did Hashem intervene? I didn't hear Exactly. Exactly. Hashem said, "I can, I can be molchal on my kavod, as we say, right? I can, I can let that slide. But you want to raise a hand to a navi? You want to say something against a navi? No, that I will not tolerate." That's when he gets involved, okay? And that's actually something that we can learn from also, okay? We always have to be alert to make sure to preserve other people's honor. We can be mochel on our own kavod, right? We can, let, we can let things slide and probably more often than not, we should let things slide when it comes to our own honor, but not when it comes to the honor of someone else. Then we have to stand up for them, okay? And we have to be there for them. Just an interesting aside, okay? So we see, again, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has every ability to stop us if he really wanted to, but he doesn't. Even though it's within Hashem's power to withdraw vitality from the person at that moment that they're doing something wrong, what could God say? You want to sin against me? Enjoy yourself. Sin with your with, with what you have. Don't sin, don't sin with what I'm giving you, which essentially means what? Exactly. So good luck. Okay. Okay. Good luck to you. That's God's way of saying, you know, should be with Hatslacha. Okay. So it's not because of this, okay, that God prevents and stops himself from giving good to a person. But what does he do? He is so well elbowed. He is tolerant. And he continues to give good to the other person. Do you understand? I just want you to understand this. Do you understand what this means? Like, what is going on here? Right? God is allowing himself to get trampled on. And he's not reacting. He's letting you just go ahead and continue with what you're doing. Why do you think he's doing that? Anyone have any ideas? Why is he doing that? Right, so a person will basically lose their free will, right? If every time they do something wrong and God punishes them, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, okay. Hundred percent. That's the that's the hope. Okay. Uh, not that this I personally find ever found this to be effective, but maybe some parents do, right? What's the or teachers, right? What what's the what's the point of putting a child in timeout? In theory, right? To reflect, meaning, sweetheart. Okay, take a few minutes. Think about what you just did. Okay, because hopefully, if you think about what you just did, you will then apologize. You'll realize you've done something wrong. Okay, so he's giving you space. Okay, his knee-jerk reaction, and this is the most, this is what, this is what we were talking about already last week, meaning we need to be in control, okay, of our reactions. 
I need to be in control. I can't let my emotions be in control because if my emotions were in control, how would I react when someone, how would God react, right? If he was just emotional and someone was using the life that he was giving them to do something wrong, what would he do? An emotional reaction would be what? Yeah, like, are you kidding me? Like, are you serious? What are you doing? What are you thinking, you know? And yes, off with your head, whatever. He wouldn't, you know, that's an emotional but instinctual knee-jerk reaction. If you think about a human being, right? Our knee-jerk reaction in a situation is usually like, you're doing that to me? Well, I'm gonna do this to you, right? And, you know, and we have to take revenge and we have to be, we always have to be one up. So the goal here is that we need to be in control of our reactions, okay? Now, what's very important to understand, which actually is gonna stay now, so let's, let's go ahead. That's why God calls, I mean, excuse me, the Malachim called God a Melech Aluv. They call him a humiliated king. Meaning, who is like you, Hashem? Right? If you're, who could do this other than God? Who could have the patience, the tolerance to be able to do this other than God? Like, this is not normal. Like, most people we know wouldn't ever react this way, right? This is not a normative way of reacting. So, wow, who is like you, God? Ata El, okay, and by the way, the word El, okay, if we're talking about the names of God, what 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 meter does this generally represent? El, Elohim, right? Mm -hmm. It's usually Zin, it's usually justice, okay? So it, it comes from a, a place of Kalach, of strength, okay? So why is this, by the way, if you think about it, this Mida, Mi Kel Kamocha, okay? Why is this word being? Why is this mean? It could have used a, a different name. It could have said Yud Kevavki, right? It could have said Hashem Yud Kevavki, which represents which Mida? Chesed, compassion, right? If you think about it, that makes more sense. I mean, God is giving us faith. He's being so kind to us. We would think maybe he's, maybe it should be the Yud Kevavki, but no, the name that's being used here is Kel. Why? What is this teaching us? Yes, hundred percent. Yes. So we should just realize, by the way, God is God is patient, but Adkan. Okay, meaning like this is only the first of the nido. Okay, there's a lot of other nido, and he spends a lot of time being patient, being patient, being patient. But at some point, when he sees the person is just not improving, they're not saying chuba, they're not realizing they did something wrong, they're not getting the hints, then he's going to have to react with justice. Okay, but just on a very, very superficial level, what is this? What is this teaching us? Because let me ask you something: If I were describing a person who would do this, right? He gives and gives and gives and gives. And what does he do with it? What do you do with every, what does everybody do to this guy? They step all over him, right? He's a shmata. You know that word, everybody knows about shmata, right? He's, he's a shmata, okay? So am I describing here, you know, if, if you wanted to paint a picture of like strength, would that, would that look like strength to you? No, that looks like a, a shlamazo, you know? like a loser like what's wrong with this person get yourself a backbone right so the the the, the fact that it says kale the fact that it's using this word okay this name of hashem is teaching us something very 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 important okay what is it teaching us anybody wanna okay god yeah Sorry. it's not like 
he's doing this because he doesn't have the strength. He's actively like restraining himself. It's not like what you describe. It's not something to push over. It's more like the muscle of a parent. I can do something about it, but I have to like understand that when I do this. Exactly. Okay, one second. So that, that, do you want to add on to that or you want to do different? What? Okay, just give me one second. So what Tehillah and Shemel are saying is that that's really the main point. Okay, God is choosing. Okay, acting this way is coming from a place of strength. It is not coming from a place of weakness. So I need to make it clear. If we are trying to emulate God's Nida, which we, again, we, we're, we're going to, we're talking now about just what the Mida is, and we're going to discuss soon how do we emulate God in this area. If I want to emulate God in this area, ladies, the answer is that I shouldn't become a pushover and just let everybody step on me. This means that I am making choices. I am actively choosing to take a step back. I could get in the ring, right? But I don't want to get in the ring. Why? Because everything is with a cheshbon, right? Everything is calculated. I have to understand what are the consequences of this, right? I have to think a little bit ahead. As a mature adult, that's something that we have the ability to do. Kids really can't do that. It's harder for them. But as adults, we actually have the ability to take a step back and see what are the consequences going to be of what I'm about to say. And is this going to actually be productive or not? Okay. And that has to be a choice that I make. Okay, so acting, reacting, I should say, reacting instinctually is something that we really want to try to get a hold of, okay? That's something that we really want to try to rein in because I think all of us can attest to the fact that if we do that, we, it doesn't usually end well and it doesn't usually show our, put our best foot forward, okay? Yeah, you want to ask? Yeah. Yeah. We must have choosing this free will. And the only reason we have to do it is because we're from the least of our soul, peace of God, and we've got the family of God. So, like, how does the least of our God choose us? That's perfect. How does he have free will? He doesn't have any choice in his Okay. I'm not really sure how to answer that question. I'm just, I, I don't even know if that's in the context of what we're saying. Meaning, we're, we're using, when we're saying God chooses, and I said last time, right, this is all anthropomorphizing so that we can better understand it, okay? What God does, doesn't do, you're right, he doesn't have a body, he doesn't have a eyes, he doesn't get angry, like, we're just putting it into human terms so we can better understand, okay? So the idea is, is that God, again, he, he's not, there's no emotions there. He's not just emotionally reacting to something, okay? He's choosing or he's making a decision okay that this is the way i'm going to be reacting and so if we are going to learn from that we need to basically say the same thing i am not just reacting emotionally to things that happen i'm thinking things through okay i don't know if that answers your question but that's the best i could do okay um okay but i also want to make another very important point okay the goal here is also not to be apathetic because that's sort of like the opposite extreme Okay, the opposite extreme here is, you know, not to, I'm, I'm pulling myself back, but why? Oh, I don't really care. You know what I mean? Why? I just like lose interest. And that's not the goal either. Okay, somebody who is, um, somebody who's emulating God in this area cares very much. Okay, so this doesn't mean that I don't care. It means I care very much, but at the same time, I'm deciding to affect behavior that is going to create the most productive results. Okay, that's my headspace. Okay, I'm not just letting myself go with feeling. Okay, so the Hainu Omro Mikel Kamocha Ata El, as we said, which represents Koach, 
Ba'al Chesed Hamitiv, right? He is the master of compassion and doing good. El Ba'al Koach Mina Kainvil Esofet Shacha. He also has the ability to take revenge, right? And to get and to get what's his. But even with that, as we said, even with the fact that you have the ability to literally rain hell on earth, okay? I mean, look what you did to the Mitzrayim. That wasn't very enjoyable, okay? We know many examples in our history where, you know, Sancheirev and his army wanted to enter into Yushalayim. What happened? The entire army got decimated, okay? Like, God's pretty cool, and he's pretty powerful, and he could do whatever he wants, okay? So with all of his abilities, he still chooses to engage in these midot of being ne'alaf, okay? And so vel. Um, he is ma'arich af. Which actually, I just want to talk about for a second, because in the other version of the 13 attributes, Right? Anybody which is very interesting if you think about it. And actually, if you wanted to look at this quickly that I gave to you, I just want to share with you an interesting, uh, an interesting source. So this will also help put in perspective how this relates to us. Because again, ladies, the goal here is to understand what God's Niva is and how we can then do it, okay? And the truth is that you should know the Ramah, the Sefer. He tells us that when we stop, Right, and we say Hashem, I am now. I, I really want to give this person a punch in the face. Right, that's what I really want to do right now. I really want to give this person a piece of my mind. But what am I doing? I'm not doing that. I'm stopping. Okay, and not only am I stopping, but what am I doing? Right, when God gets angry, not only does he does he not pull away, but what does he do? He continues to give. Okay, which is pretty incredible. It's like that's not easy. Okay, so Hashem. Really, what I want to do is run the other way. But right now, I am stopping, and I am emulating your visa of Mikhail Kamoha. So the Ramak says that at that moment, you're actually allowing the flow of that visa not just into your little universe, but into the world at large. Okay, on a cosmic level, we're like opening up that faucet, right? And that visa is now flowing down, you know, into the earth and affecting everybody. So look at the top, the top um, source. This one is Safer Al Halacha, which we're learning from the women. Um, and it's actually a footnote. Uh, and so he says as follows. Okay, so he's talking about the context of Nida, whatever it is, but he's using the word Orach versus Ketzer, right? We have Erech and Ketzer Apayim. Ketzer means the opposite. It means I have, I'm quick to anger. I have a short fuse. Okay, katsar means short. Okay, so erech means that I don't get angry quickly. Katsar means I get angry quickly. Okay, so let, let's just go to the next paragraph. Erech How does he explain erech apayim? The term erech means that I connect to this dimension of time or this texture of time from a perspective of orach, of length, meaning what? Ha'adam enu nimsa b'matzav harigai bohu omed be'imut imkaviro. 
okay? I am not just in this moment of anger with my friend, okay? Rachel, I love you. you did something really not nice to me. I'm sorry, okay? Now, what's gonna stop me? What's gonna stop me from, me, from, from just giving it? Okay, what's gonna stop me from giving it to you? Okay, this perspective of orach, meaning what? I'm not just stuck in this moment right now where I'm like, how could you have done something like that to me? But I realize, I feel myself connected to the past and also to the future. We've known each other a long time. We've had lots of good times together. And you know what? I know we're going to work this through and we're going to have lots of good times together again in the future. I'm able to nullify the anger with this perspective. Meaning, again, it's just taking a step back and like not getting sucked into the moment, but being able to see the bigger picture. Come on, you've always been a good friend, right? And please God, you'll continue to be. All right, so we had a little, a little trouble. We're going to work it out. Okay, when a person has a short fuse, this is, he quotes a pasuk here from Eos, this perspective of time, of shortness of days, filled with, with anger. Because he sees the days in a perspective of short, he is filled with anger, meaning what? I can only see this moment right now where you said something mean to me. I cannot gain any kind of perspective. That's a person who lives in this, in this dimension of time of Ketzer Yaman, right? I'm just, I, I have no ability to take a step back. With every momentary, like, you know, not nice thing that someone might do to me, it's like my world just crumbles, it like falls apart. Like I just can't gain any kind of perspective. And therefore he immediately gets angry. Okay. And so that's the difference here. Meaning what? If we want to be able to gain, if we want to be able to help ourselves move beyond, okay, something that somebody did to us that made us upset, what is one of the most important things that we need to do? We need to gain perspective. We need to go into timeout, right? We need to take a step back and we need to be able to like look at the whole picture. Now, truth be told, it could be that if you take a step back and look at the whole picture, you might actually see, you know what? This person's actually pretty cruddy. And we actually have always had a difficult relationship. And maybe you'll realize it's not a healthy relationship, okay? And when you interact with that person, hopefully it'll be in a way where maybe you're gonna end the friendship, okay? But it's not out of anger. It's out of calculation. It's because I sat down and I thought this through, okay? It's not because I instinctually or emotionally got very angry and just like decimated the relationship. You understand? So I, I made me actually think about, you know, there aren't many mitzvot that have uh, the, the reward written in the Torah, right? There's only two. Which ones? Anybody? Which is, yes, and the, 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 the bird, Shiloh Khan. Okay, so I can't necessarily speak for Shiloh Khan so much because it's much more mystical. But let's just talk for a minute about parents, okay, honoring your parents. What is the reward for honoring your parents? Arichut Yamin. It's the same word, Orach, right? Arichut Yamin. So, you know, unfortunately, we might see many people 
who honor their parents, right? Like unbelievable, but yet they don't necessarily live a long life. So what does it mean? So in my humble opinion, when I learned this, it made me think about the fact that this reward is not necessarily a physical reward of living many days, but it's living your days with this quality of aura, meaning I, I come from somewhere. I'm going somewhere else. I'm able to see the larger picture, how I'm part of a mythora, right? I'm part of a bigger chain, okay? And it makes your life much more qualitative. So it's not necessarily the quantity, but it's really the quality. I don't know I made that up, but it made sense to me. So I'm just sharing that with you. But in any case, in this, in this space, I just wanted you to understand this nida of erechapai, okay? It's, it's gaining perspective. So God, I mean, he's pretty lucky, right? Because he gets the ultimate perspective. I mean, it's harder for us. A lot of times it takes a little bit of like finagling and maneuvering and being down the kashut, right? Trying to judge favorably. God has the um, fortune of having perspective, right? And he can see the whole picture and where we fit into this picture and where at this moment we are and what we're doing. And he's able to take a step back and say, okay, they're really good and they're going to continue to be good. So they hit a little blip, okay? I'm going to give them some time. But we also, again, as humans, if we want to emulate God, it's actually a little harder for us because the truth, as I said before, also is that at some point, God's like, I can't, right? We don't have the ability to do that. I can't punish you after a certain amount of time and say like, I gave you time off with your head. Like we don't have the ability as humans, okay, to punish people. We have to continuously be empathetic and sympathetic and compassionate. Um, but again, I think partially that's because it's so hard for us to interact with, with kindness, okay, and with chesed, as opposed to our knee-jerk reaction always being within. Okay, think about the first time you meet people, right? Most of us, the first time we meet people are very, like, cynical, like, prove to me that, you know, that you're normal, that you're nice. Like, we don't go in thinking, everybody is so wonderful, like, we don't necessarily give the benefit of the doubt. I'm sure every single person in this room can think of someone who they're probably super close friends with who when they first met them, they didn't really like them at all, right? And they thought like the weirdest things about them, right? And then down the line, you're like, oh my God, how did I even think like that, right? But we make very quick judgments, okay? And we and they're not usually nice judgments, okay? So that's what we're trying to do to work on here. Okay, harezumida, so this is a midah that human beings are meant to behave. This is how we're meant to be, namely savlanot. Okay, it's a very good word in Israel to have. With gestures, right? Everybody, savlanot. Okay, but the truth of the matter is, is that there's two ways of conjugating this word. One of my Israeli friends pointed this out to me. Okay, we have the word sadwanut, which means patience. We also have the word sovlanut, to be so well, which means tolerance. Okay, which again, they're very connected to each other, but there's different nuances. Okay, so I think that we can learn both of these midot, okay, from this particular place. The midah of sadwanut, the chain hayotonelav, a field of madrigazu. So again, we have to be able to be humiliated to some degree, even to this, to, even to this level. Okay, and I shouldn't withdraw my benevolence from this person. 
okay, upon whom I am giving. Okay, so I'd like to share with you a little bit, go back to the speech that I gave to you. This is from the Ali Shore, okay, from Ravlobah. And he talks about this midah of someone, and he actually says this midah is the opposite of ka'as, of anger. Okay, so if you want to temper our anger, this is the other direction that we want to go in. And I just want to share a little bit with you, because I think this is incredibly important, especially, well, it's not just especially this time of year, it's always. Okay, this is an unbelievably important midah for people who are living with roommates, for people, Bezras Hashem, when you get married, okay? I guess for people, anyone who actually interacts with any humans, okay? Mm -hmm. This is an extremely important leader. So let's look at where it says number two, okay? Umahi savlanot, a savlan adam right? So a savlan, someone who's patient or tolerant is actually like a person who's carrying a heavy load on their back. And even though this is a very, very heavy load on their back, he continues to go and to carry it. Okay, what is the root of the word? Just in, in modern Hebrew, okay, the root of the word savlanot is sabal. Okay, anybody want to know what a sabal is? Somebody who carries. Okay, I'll never forget the first thing like, when I first got off the plane when I went to seminary. When I got to my apartment at Hajim Al-Khalet, and there was an Arab at the bottom of the stairs with a refrigerator on his back, like tied around his head. I don't know if anyone's ever seen that before. It's quite incredible. Okay, that would be a sabal, okay? <laughs> Meaning that's someone whose job it is to carry heavy loads, okay? So even no matter how heavy it gets, but he just keeps on going. So too, ladies, is it with all of the relationships that we have with all of the people in our life. We see and we hear a lot of things that just not are not our speed. Okay, it just not doesn't jive with me. But nonetheless, we still continue to be good friends. I'm sure. Again, think about the people you are have relationships in your life. Nobody's perfect, right? There's definitely, I, I would say with every person you're friends with, there's something about them that's kind of funky, right? Drives you a little mad, annoys you a little bit, right? Not everything they do is, is your speed, but you continue to be friends with them. The Rumizu, a little more difficult than this. Yesh, Okay? Then we have, we have friends who aren't just neutral, but we might have a friend who like, they actually do something that's, that bothers us. Okay, in the Akitsaba whether they insult us, in the Drisha right? They ask us to do something that's just inappropriate, right? I'm sure we've all had people ask us to do like, are you kidding me? Like, you want me to do that? Like, what are you asking me? Okay. In the Taina or they come to us with like a complaint that has no basis, right? And they start complaining about something that you did something that you like never did, or you don't know what they're talking about. Okay, the whole but you know what? We still tolerate that. Okay, we still tolerate it. Mamash can say just like that guy with the refrigerator on his back. Okay, so let me put it to you like this, ladies. Imagine all of us when we are brought down to this earth, God gifts us with a backpack. Okay, all of us have a special backpack, and every person we ever have a relationship with gets put into that backpack. Okay, and the people who we're friends with and our family and whatever it is, we choose, right? We keep them in our backpacks and we carry them around with us all the time. Because as I said, 
there's no relationship that comes without difficulty and without things that bother you, but you still, you make choices, right? And you choose, you have your collection of friends and whatever in your backpack that you carry around with you. But when somebody upsets you or asks you to do something not right or whatever it is, and you have an outburst of anger, what are you essentially doing? You're taking that person out of your knapsack and you're just like, I'm not doing this anymore, right? Like you're not in my knapsack anymore. I'm not carrying you anymore. We might not realize that that's what we're doing, but that's actually what we're doing. A savlan, someone who's calling, isn't just going to do this. They're not going to just throw their friends out of their knapsack. Even harder than this, you see a friend of yours who's doing something wrong, like really, whether it's something morally wrong or something against Torah, that just they're doing something wrong. But we still look, we're always told, you know, you can still be friends with someone, even if they're doing things that you don't agree with. I know it's not really in the culture nowadays because now we can only be friends with people who agree with us. Okay, but in the old days, we were able to be friends with people, even if they voted for someone different than me, and even if they, you know, did things that I didn't necessarily approve of, because we were friends, and it was okay. So again, here he is giving us a little bit of a warning. As I said before, this does not mean that I should become now apathetic. When I see people doing something wrong, you know, again, part of the culture that we, a lot of us grew up in is like live and let live. You know, you do you, I'll do me, and like just sort of let things slide. That's also not a Jewish perspective, okay? And he's telling us the goal here is not to be, in, not to be apathetic. It should pain you if you see somebody doing something wrong. It should hurt us. Maybe we should daven for them or something, but it should, we, shouldn't just, we shouldn't just not care. Um, and the, the closer to home it is, the harder it, the more painful it is for us. But nonetheless, we still can choose to tolerate this friend. Like someone carrying a heavy load. We have to give rebuke, maybe. We have to be no seavon, which is the next week up. Thank God we will talk about that next week. All the relationships that we have in this world, ladies, are not by accident. We all are very social people, right? We love to be with people. We love to have friends. We're all connected to each other and we're all responsible for each other. You know, a friend carries their friend, a neighbor carries their neighbor. All of them. And so I'll, put, I'll give you a warning now that we're all a little bit older. It's not like we're five and we're just friends with whoever's in our kindergarten class. Be very scrupulous who you choose to put in your knapsack, okay? Because it's a choice, okay? We should, be, we should really think twice before we decide to put someone in there because it, I'm sure we can all appreciate how relationships can zap us of our energy, right? If they're people that are not healthy, et cetera. We have to be very careful, okay? And this is where it becomes, again, more relevant and important for us to understand. Does this mean that I should just accept everything that happens to me and always be quiet? Low the low, no, absolutely not. But through this need of savanut, I can come to a very measured reaction. 
Okay, right, so again, how am I going to react to the person who asked me to do something that I think is inappropriate? Or how am I going to react to somebody who insulted me? Or how am I going to react to somebody who accuses me of doing something, right? So I can react with anger, I can react with insulting, you know, or I can smile and I can say, I'm sorry you feel that way, you know, let's let's talk about it or whatever it is. Give, you know, we have there are different ways of being able to to deal with this. Okay. Um, and in the next piece, right underneath, okay, so he goes on to just explain to us that the closer to home that a person is to us, meaning when they live in our home, it's one thing to have patience and tolerance for you know a neighbor. It's another thing to have patience and tolerance for the person who's living in your house, right? That takes a lot more energy and it's a lot more difficult, okay? And he actually says that when a chassin, right, over the years would come to him and they would ask him, you know, Rebbe, give me some advice. I'm about to get married. So what did he point out to them? How do we say, how do you say a marriage in, in Hebrew? No, not a wedding. Marriage. Nisuin, right? Nisuin. What is the root of the word Nisuin. Huh? which means to lift, to carry. Okay, so Rahova Zatawa teaches students. You're standing under the chuppah, right? You're getting married to this woman. You are what? Choosing to put her in your knapsack, right? You are choosing to like carry her with all of her qualities, her good qualities, her difficult qualities. You're making that choice. Okay, one second. What? Nafsak, none. Okay, so he's just telling us again. That's why for getting married, we have to be quadruply careful when we make that decision of who we're sticking in our knapsack. Okay, and so he says, just we look down at the last paragraph. So he says, here we learn a new meaning in the word savlanut. Okay, so he actually. You know, he brings here, uh, you know, examples of, you know, you, you, you know, you're, and he's talking to guys here, but you can fill in the blanks. Okay. You can turn it around. You know, you marry a woman and she has some objectively not great qualities. Okay. She comes late all the time. She's lazy. She likes to talk a lot or whatever it is. Things. That, so what do you try to do? You slowly try to wean. You try, if you can, to wean her off and let's flip it around. Your husband throws the socks on the floor. I don't know, whatever he does. Annoying things. Okay. What do you do? You try to wean him off that behavior, okay? Tell him the wedding starts a half an hour early, whatever you need to do to try. But what happens when you see that it's not helping? Sometimes it just doesn't help. This is who they are, and this is the way it's going to stay, okay? So he says, that's why he's saying here, we have a new significance to the term, to the understanding of the Nida of Savlanit. When it comes to the people in your home, it's not enough to just not get angry when he comes late again, when he throws his sacks on the floor again. Okay, or he leaves his dishes in the sink, whatever. It's not enough to not get angry and not to be mocked about it. It's, it's very common that you're going to see in your spouse some kind of behavior that's going to get your goat. Okay, your term is that. And he brings here the examples that I mentioned to you. A really negative mida in that person. Okay. You try to help, but it doesn't go anywhere. This, now you need to understand, this is her nature. This is his nature. They're not changing. What you see is what you get. This is their nature. 
But I love the hashlimintah. And you know what? Your best bet is to be mashlimintah. What does that mean to be mashlim with something? So just embrace it, like make peace with it, okay? Because it's hell to try to change someone. It's hell to just make the decision that every time I see them doing that nida, I'm gonna get angry. And you know what? There are a lot of people who make that choice, right? And they have very unhappy marriages and they're just bitter and unhappy people, okay? You can choose to do that if you'd like, but he's telling us it's important to get to a place where you're able to be mashlim with this particular nida. And again, I'm not talking here about anything, you know, dangerous or serious. We're talking here about relatively okay? Um, but he says, not just an external hashlama. You're not just okay with it externally, that you don't get angry at her. I accept you as a totality of a person. And this is so important. I just want to make this clear to you, ladies, okay? If you're not married yet, you will be married hopefully in the near future, okay? Mm -hmm. You don't have to love every single quality of the person you're married to, but you can still love them as, you know, you can still love them very much. It doesn't mean that if I don't love every quality of this person, that means that we're not meant for each other, okay? Or it means my marriage is gonna fall apart. Not at all. You don't have to love every single quality of that person, but you can still love them as a totality, okay? And that holds true not just for a spouse, it holds true for a friend, it holds, holds true for family. You know, you might have issues with your mom, but you can still love her because you, there are so many other qualities about her that you really love. But if you choose to focus only on the negative, then that's what's gonna be highlighted. And he says, you know, that he also has to know, okay, so we also need to know, ladies, we're also not perfect, okay? We, find, we might find, you know, things about our spouse or our friends that we don't like, but you know what? They find things about us that, we, that they don't like also, okay? So we're all in the same boat. So let's try to be a team and let's try to make this work together, okay? And so we have to just understand that we also have the ability in our relationships to sustain negativity, Okay, meaning what? As I said, our first tendency when we're in a difficult relationship is to cut that relationship off, to say, I can't, I'm not, I don't wanna be friends with you. I don't like you. I met you for five minutes. I already see I don't like you and we, try, we run the other way. But we're telling us, what, 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 the, what the Ramak is telling us here is that that is not how we emulate God. Emulating God means giving a person time, giving a person space, relating to the person with compassion. Don't just let them wallow in their own negativity. And again, it could be, ladies, that down the line, a relationship is going to be reassessed and you're going to see like, I've tried so much to give and to make this work and it's just not working. And you might actually have to cut yourself off. You might have to, that might be the end result, but that shouldn't be on the first day. That shouldn't be the first way that I react. That's down the line after I've tried everything, okay? Robinson Heller says, we need to ask, what can I do to help this person shake themselves out of their behavior, right? I see somebody who's engaging in negative behavior. Is there anything I could do to help them get out of this behavior, right? What can I do to help? Obviously, we have to do it with seichal, right? We have to be smart about it, okay? But um, when we act with compassion instead of din, that is the point where we're acting like Hashem. Okay, and so I think that's incredibly important. And just another point, just to speak to the other meaning of the word which is saval, which is sovel, to, to suffer. So Rabbi Solomon actually used the mashkiach in Lakewood. So he also says that when we're, when we're exercising this nida, we're working overcoming our natural tendency towards comfort, okay? We all relate to that. People like to be comfortable. We don't like to be in pain. Nobody likes pain. But realistically, we have to really 
kind of um, shift our perspective of pain. Pain is really our friends, right? Sherelle, can you attest to that as a nurse, right? If somebody never felt pain, they wouldn't know that anything's wrong, right? If, if they don't have a sore throat, I wouldn't know I had strep, right? Somebody, there are people with disorders, right? They can stick their hand in a fire and not feel anything and they're just gonna burn their hand. Like that, that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing to not be able to feel pain. Pain is actually, pain is actually a very important indicator to us that something's off and we need to like fix it. We need to work on it. And so I am sorry to be the one to tell you this, but I'm sure you all know, right? There are going to be a lot of times that in our relationships with other people that it's going to be painful. It's going to be hard and uncomfortable. And it might be that we're going to have an uncomfortable relationship with God also, right? Sometimes things happen and this doesn't feel so good. I'm not comfortable here, okay? Don't fight against the discomfort and don't try to just push away the pain and get rid of the pain. We have to try to utilize the pain. And I think the best um, mashal that I can give to you actually a conversation I had with a friend of mine many years ago um, who her husband was like diehard making Aliyah. She really did not want to make Aliyah because she knew she was going to have to travel and stuff, but they had a great marriage. They loved each other. Like she knew she was going to end up making Aliyah. Like it wasn't really a choice, but she was fighting a tooth and nail. And I remember she, she, you know, speaking to her at some point and I was like, sweetheart, like you got to just like stop resisting. Like stop, like just go with it. You know what I'm saying? Like go along with it um whatever so we hung up a few weeks later she she was in touch with me she actually had a baby she was very pregnant at the time we spoke and she said to me you know one of the things that you said to me in our conversation really helped me with my labor I was like really that's so cool like what did I say so she said it was actually this point okay that when a woman's in labor and especially when she's at the end and active in transitional labor like it's really 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 painful as I'm sure you've all heard right and again think about your instinctual reaction to pain is just like make it stop make it go away but what happens think you could well, try this on your own right what happens to your body when you want to make something stop right you're clenching everything and that can actually stop it can prohibit your labor from progressing right it stops it from progressing and she's like she was in there and she was in pain and she was just like didn't she was like fighting it and she and finally she like somehow remembered what we had spoken about where it was just like stop fighting right just give into it go with it okay and if you know anything about labor it's at the end when you have those those contractions at the end you're supposed to push through the pain when you have that contraction that's what you need to push Okay, and that's what's going to bring the gaula. That's what's going to bring the salvation. That's what's going to get that baby out. Okay, and so I think that's an important muscle for life. Okay, pain is an opportunity for us to to grow. It's an opportunity for us to push forward, to move past the difficulty that we're going through, and to stretch ourselves. It's not simple, but you know, there's a reason why we have to go through something like that. And I think that it really teaches us a very, very important lesson in life because. It's not just about getting, you know, having a baby. It's about, I'm sure all of us can also think about times in our life that we were really stretched, that we really, it was really hard for us, but we just kept pushing through and pushing through. And the results were incredible. We, we grew beyond our wildest imagination. Okay, and that's really the goal. Okay, so it's very important for us on our journey to emulate God, okay, to accept the things that things in my life don't have to go exactly according to the way I want them to be and they can still be good, right? And I, again, like I said, I don't have to love everything about someone to still love them and I shouldn't expect people to live up to my own expectations, right? I have to be realistic with what my cohorts are and I have to be realistic with what other people's strengths are and not expect people to do things that are not in their capacity. Um, and to accept other people, okay? Because when we accept other people, we're actually energizing them and we're actually giving them vitality, okay? And I think, uh, you know, just 
for our own work, I think it's important for us to think about areas that we specifically are, are struggling in to have tolerance and patience and think about why am I struggling so much in that area? Is it because I need to be in control? Do I feel threatened? Like, where is this coming from? Why am I having such a hard time with this? Okay, because again, if we ever want to move forward in our middle, there's no one-stop shop. Everybody is struggling in a particular need for different reasons. And it's important for us to figure out why we ourselves are struggling with that need Okay. So I will let you go. But again, just uh, to sum up in one sentence, right? To emulate Hashem means that our instinct should always be compassion and not din. Okay. Give people the time and the space to step up to the plate. All right, have a beautiful rest of your week.